0: Now, a few weeks ago, I was on Nightline talking about the possible repercussions of allowing your child to become an internet star, especially as a child becomes a brand that is thought of as offensive or jarring, or as a child becomes targeted by trolls and comments that are getting ugly. But becoming an internet star has become easier for kids, especially through the medium of YouTube, an accessible platform that is open to anyone as opposed to the cutthroat, slim chance, competitive nature of Hollywood that is only available to a small percentage of a chosen few. So what happens when a child says that they want to become a YouTube star? And what happens if your child and some friends want to upload some videos for all to see? When is it too young? When is it too much? Should we allow it at all? For the answers to these questions and more and how to discuss all of this with your kids is one of our past guests my friend, Devorah Heitner. Now, Devorah Heitner, PhD, is the author of ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World and the founder of Raising Digital Natives. She passionately believes in the power of mentoring kids in creating a positive tech culture and she's delighted to be raising her own digital native. She's also super cool and actually has an article out about some things to consider if your child wants to become a YouTube star in the Washington Post and going to be Digging right in and fleshing out the information so that we know how to have this discussion about fame, about social media, and what to look out for if your child brings the idea of putting videos up on social media to your attention. It's best to be prepared, right? So, welcome back, Devorah Heitner, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything.
1: Thank you. This is an exciting topic, and many people are getting asked by their kids about starting a channel.
0: Yeah. So and
1: this is a good thing. You want your kids to ask you. There are also people who come to me and find out that their kids have started a channel that they didn't Ooh. know about, which is less ideal. Yes,
0: less ideal. And it is good to be prepared. So I'm excited to have you on. Uh, before we launch into this very present day topic, I'd love you to um I'd like you to tell us what put this idea of kids wanting to be uh, YouTube or internet stars on your radar, and how does it sort of fit into your interest in
1: raising healthy digital natives? I speak with parents all over at schools and in other environments where I'm trying to help them raise their kids and to be screen wise and to be thoughtful, empathetic, good citizens in the digital world and this is a really common question I have. A lot of parents asking me either about kids who want to be super famous and are just driven by, you know, likes and wanting to be known or they have a really strong interest and they're part of a community like a gaming community or fashion and they want to be contributing to that community by making their own fashion videos or their own gaming videos. So those are the two kind of categories that I hear about the most of kids who want to start YouTube channels and be out there.
0: Okay. And so you bring up a good point before we launch into talking about what we might be putting up on YouTube. So kids are involved in these communities and maybe are watching videos on YouTube. What are they watching on YouTube? And
1: is it, is it sort of a free for all? Or are they watching specific things? Well, a lot of little kids are watching these horrendous videos of other kids opening toys. Oh, yes. I've so that's like that. porn for pre- the preschool it's set. terrible. And it's very popular, and it, it's sort of designed to make your kid into a monster. Mm-hmm. And then as kids get older, they might watch pranks. A lot of kids are watching humor. Um, and then the big YouTubers like Dude Perfect, PewDiePie, you know, Casey Neistat get popular with tweens and teens. Kids also will follow makeup channels. There's a bunch of um, LGBTQ-oriented channels like the Miles Chronicles that some kids in that community follow. Uh, And gamers are definitely watching other gamers, you know, whether it's Minecraft or all kinds of other video games there's oh, yes. if you want to watch other people play video games all day there is it is crazy we find it very busy. peculiar
0: dan tdm my kids love him and uh and he actually wrote a graphic novel that my son was very excited to read so uh, <laughs> it's just interesting to me what kids watch and and what's you know what's interesting to them so let's say that your child comes to you and says I want to have a YouTube channel or join a social media site where where your child can upload videos. So what kinds of questions should we be asking, even before we get into like rules and expectations and sort of the nitty gritty? And and what about age restrictions? Is there an age for all of this if your child comes to you or it, whoever can join? What
1: What's the deal with it? So first of all, you definitely want to get a sense of their... Interest in what they're watching and what they've been influenced by so I would ask them well What are you watching on YouTube that make you want to have a channel? What are some? Channels that you find inspiring that you think are positive. What are some things that you are less Attracted to or that you think are more negative because what you want to get from them is what is their critical judgment? right Mm -hmm. What, what 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 is their inner critic say is awesome Uh, because that'll give you a really good sense of of what you might be concerned about. If if something that they think is awesome is very problematic or maybe problematic for a kid their age, like maybe a nine-year-old, you know, you might not want to have a makeup channel. Mm -hmm. Maybe makeup is something you still want that your nine-year-old to just be playing dress up, you know, in private, but but a makeup channel feels inappropriate. But maybe you would be okay with your 16-year-old having a makeup channel if that's what she really wants to do, right? So I would also look at how does what they want to do and what they admire align with their age and what social this the social experience that they're going to have if they put this out in the world is going to look like? And also, how well do they understand even what basic safety issues are? So especially with elementary schoolers, do they understand that every video that they share is actually public unless you alter the settings, right? Do they understand that the default is that anyone could see this mm-hmm. and do they really get what that means. That's Mm -hmm. really important. And then it's also really important that whatever you give your child permission to do, you have to understand that if they're doing this with friends, that friends' parents need to be on board as well. So your child should not be posting videos that have friends, even if you've given them a green light, unless the parents of those friends are also totally Mm -hmm. okay with it.
0: Okay, so I'd like to kind of live there for a minute. I mean, you say that it's important for kids and parents to create a plan if the child is going to be putting videos up on, on YouTube. And so what should they be considering then on that plan? And And what if they really don't know what they want to do in those answers to those questions didn't they just say you know i just want to post silly photos with friends or silly videos with friends i I know my daughter has told me like she loves those videos where you have to guess what you're eating it could be something super gross or yummy and there's like two people and they have like a competition i'm not exactly sure um you know how it works but i know that there's like a gross out effect. And, and has mentioned that she'd find those things fun to do. Now, she's only nine, and that's you know not on the table. But um, how do we discuss a plan with our kids, especially if they do want to involve other kids?
1: Well, I would really take it very seriously, which may discourage some kids, which could be great, where... You know, if you're even open to the idea, if you're completely not open to the idea, then we don't want to put our kids jumping through hoops if we're like totally closed. Like there's no reason to make your kid do a proposal. But say you feel like you would consider this if you are, and again, with an elementary schooler, you want to have some editorial, like maybe every video has to be screened by you before it gets Mm -hmm. uploaded. So you talk about that policy and then you have them maybe write a proposal or make an outline Uh, Or even create, you know, a PowerPoint for you about what their plan is. And if that discourages them, then they might not really want to put in the work to do a YouTube channel. In other words, you know, making your kids jump through some hoops is also a way to get them, slow them down a little. We don't want them to share right away. We want them to consider the plan. Okay, Mm -hmm. so what are, you know, what would be some funny things to eat? If you're going to do that series, let's let's say let's do five that are safe, right? We can't make our friends eat shaving cream or poison or shampoo, right? So, like, let's make a plan. And then, um, is the friend on board? Have you talked to the friend's parents? Have Have you, the adult, talked to the friend's parent? And And the other thing you could do is have them make some videos that are only for in the family, even mm-hmm. on your phone or your iPad or whatever you have access to, and share them in a small group of people you actually know, and say, you know, see if that it satiates the need. First mm-hmm. of all, my kid makes tons of slow motion videos on my phone of him shooting baskets. He loves this. This mm-hmm. is hysterical. It's funny. It's really epic when he gets a really great basket. It's really fun to watch. Those don't need to be on YouTube. Right, right. Yes, I so agree So there's a with lot that, of fun in yes. making and sharing videos in the family, and maybe we show those to the cousins, or maybe I text that to the grandparents. Right. But, so giving them the experience that they want, which maybe your daughter would love making some really funny, silly videos, but I love I love having them make a plan because that does sort of force them to consider, okay, who is really the audience for this? Is this sustainable? Does my friend really want to do this with me for five episodes?
0: Mhm mhm. It's a very good point and um I do I do agree. My my daughter made a uh, a trailer with her one of her best friends and it was adorable, you know, just on on uh the iPad. And you know, I was able to kind of put it together in a little 2-minute thing and you know, she wanted to be able to to see it. She wanted to show it to Grammy, you know, that it, you know, for for my daughter that's completely enough. You know, she, she just wants it to be seen by the people she she knows and loves. She's not looking for, you know, all these other random people to see it. So I agree with you that there's there's a way to maybe satiate that need, um, especially when they're younger, and, and allow them to, to have the fun without the repercussions of, of having a public audience. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. So what about... You know, we've we've talked about these sort of quantifiers and and making money through YouTube videos. Should this be on the table in terms of a discussion or a focus? What if they say they've heard people make money doing it and they want to make money too? So, So can we talk about that for a moment?
1: Absolutely. I think it's really important to look at some of the downsides of trying to make money on YouTube, that it's really a job and that people who are making money on YouTube, are spending a lot of their time creating and sharing content. It's not the five videos of me grossing out my friend with mm-hmm. epic jokes or food food challenges. Mm-hmm. It's really an ongoing job. And so there might be an age where you would just say to your child, like an elementary schooler, I, I, you know what, you're too young to work. If you want to do a few extra chores, maybe I'll pay you for that or whatever. But there, you're you're too young to have an ongoing job like this. Mm-hmm. As kids get older, if they really have a talent that they want to explore by sharing in, you know, on YouTube, maybe you would let them experiment with trying to create a channel and seeing what happens. But I think it's really worth considering the downsides. And the more vulnerable your child is, to social pressures, the more vulnerable they are, perhaps about body image or other things, the more you have to recognize that you're you're letting themselves make themselves vulnerable, not just to the other kids in their middle school or the other kids in their scouting group, you know, who might be nice and might not be nice, right? But to the world, Mm -hmm. to anyone who might make a comment about their clothing, their body, their ethnicity, their teeth. I mean, Mm. this is really... Uh, unfortunate, an unfortunate aspect of the internet is that people are sitting at home and there are a few of them who want to make nasty comments on your 10 year old and his magic tricks or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. on your kid's food challenges or anything and especially if they're doing something that's a diary or anything more personal a lot of kids have shared their journeys you know coming out about their gender identity mm-hmm. or their sexuality it can be really positive and some of those videos are then really positive for other kids but I would much prefer if my kid did something like that, that it's in the context of a larger project that's being shared and curated in a really positive way and where comments even are potentially being moderated versus they're on their own and they're just making this channel and putting themselves out there. That's a very vulnerable thing to do. So it's something to really, kids who do that should have a lot of adult support and mentorship to make sure that uh, they can handle what's happening. Mm,
0: so, if your child has a YouTube channel, certainly if it has um, very serious content, but even if it doesn't, it's going to be. It means that you're involved too. Then it means that you know you're saying you're saying yes to them, but you're also saying yes. I'm going to be there to mentor you and to look at these videos and to moderate comments if needed, and and be part of this process. It's not like hands off, you know, oh, you go in, you go ahead and do it
1: and then uh, see how it goes. Absolutely. And then, and then the challenge too is that as much as we might be excited in the moment about a certain aspect of our identity or wanting to share a certain talent that we have, we also have to recognize that it's truly impossible to know at 12 or 15 how our 22 year old, 25 year old or 40 year old self will feel about the image that we created. And so these are times in our lives when our identity is in massive flux, whereas the difference between me at 37 and 43 might not be that great. The difference between me at 13 and 18 might be tremendous. Mm -hmm. And so even a five-year transition in identity can be huge for young people, right? Their identities are emerging. So we really need to think about, is it worth getting known as a nine-year-old or a 13-year-old when the 17-year-old applying to college may feel very differently about the choices.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about that a bit because, well, first of all, when I was on Nightline a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I did this story about little Lil Tay and she's nine years old. So we're right there, right? So your child, my child, nine years old. Mm-hmm. So there's an identity that is being created on the Internet that sometimes isn't in line with who the child is even at that point. OK, like she was saying on Nightline, well, you know, I wouldn't actually curse at home. <coughs> but on Instagram, I mean, she's dropping the F-bomb left, right and sideways. Um, and And, you know, she's flashing money around and being extremely rude to adults and just rude to everybody. And yet, you know, her mom is like, "Oh no, she's not really like that. It's just, you know, persona that she puts on." So, what are we what are we saying about that that identity that's being created right then and there? You know, sort of monster that kind of lives with us for the remainder of our lives. You know, in the sense of creating that digital footprint. I mean, is this a big deal if if our children are sort of creating that persona online? And 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 how does that inform who we're able to become, does it hold us back? Does it push us forward? What's the deal with that identity?
1: It's a huge deal. I think there's a diminishing impact given that so many kids are growing up a little bit public and a little bit famous. I mean, even those of us who just choose to share our kids in Facebook are making our kids more public and famous than most of us were as kids. Right. right? So, that, so we live in a time of somewhat diminished privacy, of somewhat increased fame and and an an increased speed of sharing right so if i even if i share that video that's private in my family just with a few people in another state it's still disseminating more than if we had to get together to watch it on a super 8 you mm. know 40 years ago or something so 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 the number of kids who have some public reputation as they transition into adulthood is greater you know the kids who are endorsed by skateboarding brands on instagram right. the kids who are you know, known a little bit more than they would have been in their community for whatever reason because of YouTube or other things. So it's it's mostly if it's negative that I worry, right. right? So trapping a prepubescent kid in a negative bratty stereotype using profanity, it's hard to really understand the impact of that when you're nine. And it's really not fair, I think, for adults. I mean, right. as you said, not fair for adults to make that editorial choice. You know, right. if if my kid did something that I thought he might later be embarrassed by, I wouldn't even share about it on my social media. Exactly. Certainly I wouldn't share a video of him doing it or saying it later because you know, my own my own choices at that age are private in the family and they're emerging. You're emerging as a kid at nine, at thirteen, at fifteen. Even when kids become viral for making really unfortunate choices, like high school kids who make racist tweets, for example, mm. let's go there, like 15 year olds, you know, they are old enough to know better. They are old enough to pay some social penalty. Should they pay a nationwide social penalty mm. of being known mm. for a choice that they made in the moment that they can still recover from? Mm-hmm. That's pretty heavy, right. right? Should they never get a job because of a tweet when they were 15 right. or 13, right? That's That seems like a problem. So right. we need to do some things to protect our kids. And we also need to accept that all kids are g- going to be a little more searchable, a little more knowable. So I wouldn't necessarily go to the extreme, at least in my family, we don't go to the extreme of keeping all faces and names off the internet. I know some families do this, right, and worry about every single public thing, but, but you know, public presence. But certainly a YouTube channel is a very specific choice. And I, 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 I linked to in my article in the post, another post article about Zephyrus Todd, mm. Who grew up as as super awesome Sylvia, which is a wonderful YouTube channel, which for years I would recommend to families as a very mentored uh, channel that you know at the time Super Awesome Sylvia was making with their dad, um, so it was very mentored by a parent, and it was really a fun way to introduce kids to making and experiments and science and. A huge reason that it got known is because there's such a push to make girls in STEM more visible. Mm-hmm. And now that young person doesn't identify as a girl, Zephyrus Todd identifies as a boy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, y- the, the the public presence that was created prior to them recognizing their identity is, is a huge issue for them now, mm-hmm. right? Because it's this legacy that they feel both proud of, but also... So the somewhat problematic. Mm-hmm. and I think those are the kinds of things we don't anticipate. And certainly that can still happen as an adult. You know, your identity could change, your relationship status could change, other things could change. But in general, most adults are in a more stable place year to year in their in their identities. And so it's less likely that you would put out, you know, for example, a series of political videos and then have a really extreme change of heart about your politics. I mean, it could happen to an right. adult.
0: Right. But, and it's almost like, it's no like you're putting a, you're, you're getting that tattoo of your girlfriend on your arm or boyfriend on your arm. And you're like, oh, wait a second. That's not exactly who I am anymore. That's not what I stand for. And, and with kids who, you know, have such a fluctuation between who they are at nine, as you were saying, and who they are at, at 15 or 16, and especially who they are at 35 or, or 40. I, mean, I think about, I think about little Tay and I think, all right, well, if she wants to become a a performer, that's one thing. But what if she wants to, you know, I don't know, become a a surgeon? You know, I don't know, anything. Something that has nothing to do with performance. Like, is this going to inhibit her from um, being able to get a a job later on because people think, well, that's not – that's not the type of person that we want um, representing our brand or, or who we are. Um, so I do think of that. And it's almost like the parents have uh, chosen a direction for their child before their child can come into their own and realize their, their own direction.
1: Absolutely. And I think it can be a trap. And this is what uh, ultimately Zephyrus Todd, you know, is saying ab- about their own story is that when you're a kid, you should be free to iterate your identity. You should be free to say one year, I feel like I really like this band and I want to wear this T-shirt all the time. In the next year, maybe I hate that band and mm. I got rid of the T-shirt mm. and I'm going to move on from that. Mm, good point. And so if we freeze ourselves, in, you know, which, so it's one thing to be involved in a fan community, for example, like maybe you're a super Harry Potter fan, you get involved in a fan community. It's another thing to sort of post your own videos and be kind of known. Mm. Um, On the other hand, you know, you can take your channel down, Mm -hmm. right, and you can move on. So it's only the kids who get super famous uh, that maybe have that problem of being really trapped. You know, if your kid at 11 makes a few Harry Potter videos and then takes them down when they're 13 and they're totally over Harry Potter it's not going to necessarily follow them for the rest of their lives. the right. way Right. It's you know, okay. Yeah. And it's awesome Harry so, Potter yeah, was, was internationally yeah. known and, you know, won all yeah. these awards. And so that's a, an, a video archive. That's a little harder to just move past.
0: Okay. This is all a, a good point. And, um, you know, some of these stories give, give warnings to, to the fame that some of our kids are craving. I'd love to, to get into that a little bit. You know, we know that there's, a price to fame and there can be ugly comments there can be assumptions about who you are that aren't true as we just discussed there's you know people who try to get things from you so what do we say to our children about fame when many of these kids think fame looks super cool and think they'll love it and we kind of know some of these negative repercussions like what's the conversation we need to have with them about that?
1: I think we need to be really frank with them. And also, I mean, there are kids who are some of us are raising kids who are going to be famous, right? And we might say, like, that's an appropriate goal as an adult. Like, if you really want to be an actor or, you know, an internationally known scientist or other things, but it's also good for them to know. That many really accomplished people are only known in their own fields Mm. and that what you want to do is be really good at what you do and really care about what you do and be a good person in the world. And those are all more important than being famous. I mean, I'm really troubled also by this trend of a kid or an adult does something nice, like a sweet thing to do, like to help a homeless person or to, you know, help a kid who's being bullied, and suddenly they're getting viral fame. Mm. I think that's a kid who should be recognized, you know, in their own community. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we actually should make people so famous for just doing small kindnesses, because that makes it seem like that's the exception and not the rule. Mm. I Mm. want my kid to cross to the other side of the street to see if that person lying down on the sidewalk is okay, and not feel like they need to get famous. Is anybody filming this? Right. I mean, but I worry about that. You know, there are all these moments where, you know, someone surprises someone with some good news. And they there do seem to be somewhat some, uh, like a film crew. I mean, right. We're constantly and I think we're we're living in a time where there's a lot of bad news. And so people are trying to counter mm-hmm. that I think, with mm-hmm. feel good news. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate news about kindness. And actually, you know, like I, I there are columns that I love to follow that share really wonderful news about kids, especially when they do really innovative things that might give other people ideas. I do feel like it's appropriate sometimes to share that. Mm-hmm, sure. But I don't think we want to make famous every time you know someone right. um, you know, does something that any person should do. Anyone should be checking if that kid who's being yelled at is okay. Mm. Anyone should go and sit with them uh, there was a case here where some kids ditched another kid uh, at the prom, and then the other friends came through, and it became this kind of viral story. And I thought, you know, that's a sweet story, but does the kid who got ditched at the prom really want his name out there yes, right. as having been ditched at the prom, and how will he feel about this in five years, whereas he'll always remember the friends that were kind, and they will always know, too. Do they need to be known publicly for that? Uh, that's, that's
0: really, that is really a good point there, and... Um, you know, and it, it's, it also can backfire where it's like, if you're not getting the recognition, does that mean you're not going to make the extra effort? And certainly that's not what we hope for our kids. We hope that they would do it, whether all eyes are on them or all eyes are looking away because that is who they are as a person. Um, and, and of course those are conversations that we need to be having with our kids that, uh, you know, character or something that they hold with them for the for their whole lives and that we hope that it's something they can be proud of not because they're being recognized for it, but because they feel good when they show people who they are.
1: Right. And it's even sometimes a greater good to do something privately and quietly to help Mm -hmm. someone out without making a big deal out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's can be less you know, so yeah, I, th- I think the culture of, of of viral video that we live in can really influence our kids. And I think when they find something inspiring, you know, maybe they find the ice bucket challenge inspiring or something like that. I don't think we want to sort of ridicule that or put it down. I mean, that did a lot of good, raised a lot of money mm-hmm. for an important cause. Mm-hmm. um, but but I think we can also say, hey, you know, are there ways we can do good things without being known right now because maybe that's not our family's value? Or if we're going to be known, if we're going to make you know really pithy, funny family videos and try to get known as a mm-hmm. family, are we gonna keep checking in every six months or every week even to make sure everyone's still on board, everyone still likes this, mm. that if you do have, and it's it's less likely to get famous than you think. I mean, at the beginning of this conversation, we were talking about how more and more people are accessing fame, and it's it's true that YouTube is a more Maybe democratic medium than Hollywood, but still very few people go on YouTube and turn around and make you know right. Still like billions of,
0: of videos.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so I will say too that it's good for your kids to be realistic. You know, their videos may be charming and adorable, and and I know my kid is just hysterically funny to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that he's you know ready for a prime time. Yeah, <laughs> I think good think That that's, yes. important for kids to you know. Right. Have that have a little perspective and humility on that. But it, even if you're doing something and your family does get known or your kid get, does get known, is this still fun? Because I think it's important to give kids the message, and I really appreciate that super awesome Sylvia's family did give them the message. Ultimately, it's okay to stop,
0: mm. even
1: though you're getting known and you're getting scholarship offers. And this is an incredible opportunity for our family to travel and this was a family that had never been abroad and they went to Australia and they got to do all these cool things. It would mm-hmm. have been very easy for them to push their kid to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And they let them stop.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That was right. the right choice for their child. And I think that was the ethical, responsible choice.
0: Right. Because you, you don't want to get yourself so caught up in you know the, the benefits that the fame might be providing or the money might be providing when your child is miserable or isn't identifying or liking enjoying what what he's he or she is doing anymore so um exactly right we can get caught up too so let's ask the nitty-gritty question because i'm sure it's on everybody's mind what do we allow our children to post i mean it's one thing when our kids want to post you know a a really charming funny video or of them singing because they're talented or it's quite another if they want to post videos of them doing risky things, which I know is a big thing, or inappropriate or private things. So bring us through a conversation about content and
1: how we discuss it. Yeah, I think we want to think about always what are you contributing? So If your child wants to post risky things, even if they feel safe, like maybe it's skateboard tricks or, you know, obviously the riskier, the more concerned, you know, planking or some of these more dangerous trends, um, obviously are very concerning but I would talk about who are you influencing and what if a little kid saw this you know so I always am able to use even with my nine-year-old that sense of influence like what if a four-year-old saw this would they make a dangerous choice like Mm. you want to ride your bike in this way but I want you to really show off that like even if you're looking both ways just with your eyes I want to see you do it with your head so a younger person would see you and Mm. model the right choice so you can use that frame of who how will other kids maybe behave if they see this how are you an influencer to be ethical obviously you don't want your child taking any you know risks of bodily or psychological harm in the making Mm -hmm, of something so mm -hmm. what if you're saying something that could sound mean or could make you sound like you're really unkind but you think it's funny you think it's a joke you know you need to taste test that you need to have a sensitivity reader Mm, (laughs) just like mm -hmm. you or I would do if we were publishing something that could be misinterpreted we would make sure that someone else saw it to, to see you know this this doesn't sound good out of contact right this doesn't sound like you and and
0: people might think this or that if they heard that um with fresh ears so they yeah that would be extremely helpful and i would also wonder though in you know if you are doing videos and they do garner comments you know like we've talked about i mean some of these some of these people, as you mentioned towards the beginning of the call, is, you know they're 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 saying some really inappropriate things. I know, you know, people are getting death threats or there's inappropriate comments um, that no adult should read, let alone a child. So so what do we do when, you know, we we've considered our influence and we are, you know, providing those videos and yet, we're still getting very negative feedback or negative comments. Well, on I would, our I would turn season. off
1: comments for little kids. Absolutely. There's okay. no reason your elementary schooler or likely your middle schooler needs to have comments at all. Mm-hmm. So if you're allowing them to share on YouTube, that's one rule you could make is we have to keep comments off. Mm-hmm. And again, if you know, if you want feedback, then get it from friends and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where maybe a private, sharing site or, you know, a password protected Vimeo or something Mm. else might be more appropriate for Mm -hmm. your kid. Your kid may not want that because they want other people to see it. Some kids really enjoy the idea that someone they don't know can see it or a wider audience can see it. And so you have to balance what you know about whether your kid can handle that. Now, if your kid is putting themselves out there in a community like Harry Potter fans or Minecraft players that may be a safer community now there mm. still may be some yucky people in that community who make inappropriate choices and say things they shouldn't but in general what i find is those communities are more supportive places than just sort of the random the wider internet mm. right so you know, if you're in a community and you're sharing things that are valuable in that community, just like you and I might share, I don't know, you could be sharing a, a recipe in a in a on a Tumblr mm-hmm. and people are gonna be more interested because they've already opted in to be part of this community and you're sharing and pulling your knowledge. And I do think that's where YouTube and other sharing can be very positive for kids is not just being passive consumers in a community like Minecraft, but also contributors. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm excited about citizenship. But nonetheless, you know, do you want your six-year-old hearing all the language of other Minecrafters, maybe you want to steer them towards some clean Minecraft channels, which there are out there that are curated, actually, uh, and and say, okay, you can have a channel when you're 10, or you can have a channel when you're 12, but I don't maybe want you putting yourself out there just yet. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and and it's a, it's a point that we've discussed
0: previously that, you know, you don't always get to... F- pick who's following you. So, what if you're finding that the people who are subscribing to your child's YouTube channel are, you know, not the, you know, 9-year-old kid who lives in a different state, but, you know, the 50-year-old man or, you know, the I don't know, you know, people who you just weren't expecting um are the ones that are are watching your child on a YouTube channel, how does that factor into uh, the way that your your child acts, or, or what what is uploaded, or or whether to have a channel or not, or not, or, or the discussion you're supposed to be having?
1: Sure, and this is coming up with Musically as well, right? If you have a public, if you have a public account on Musically, and you're sharing singing and dancing mm-hmm. videos and mm-hmm. other things, so this is why with Musically and YouTube, if again with an elementary or middle schooler, have them recorded in a public space in house so you can see what they're doing mm-hmm. because you might be able to look at it as, in a different way. Mm-hmm. So you know it may be adorable for your eight-year-old to copy moves from her favorite Pop Stars videos. But you can see how an adult, unfortunately, might view that in a really different way that's totally inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And so you might say, well, don't upload that one, or that one stays in the family, right? So you don't want to make kids feel bad for having bodies or being interested in you know, shaking them and mm-hmm. moving it, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't want my kid, your kid to feel inhibited about dancing just because we happen to live in a world that has a few pedophiles. Mm-hmm. But maybe we don't share that video, um, and that's unfortunate, but that's that's one choice you can make or again you can turn off comments you can make sure your kid's not responding to comments you could go in and be the moderator Mm -hmm. and go in and say like as the mom of this kid like I don't really want to see you commenting on my kid's channel again that might shut that down really Mm -hmm, fast mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so if you identify like hey a parent is looking at this every day Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that kid's less likely to be targeted by some creep Mm -hmm. so I think there are a number of ways you can you can deal with that but I do think we want kids to be able to be sharing and uninhibited and have fun. You can also look at the safety of what are they sharing? Are they sharing a friend? Does that friend have permission? Are you making sure that they don't share their name if that's something that you feel wouldn't be safe or sharing details about your location that might be even evident in some some frames in a video. So are you looking at the frame and seeing like, okay, what do you see out here? Do you see a sign with our street name? Do you see anything that really identifies us as a family? Mm, Does that make you feel mm. more vulnerable? I mean, the fact is, you know, we're all vulnerable in this age in terms of privacy, in terms of people being able to find who we are just by the imprint of our computer. I mean, if you are a really good hacker, you can find a lot of things. So you have to decide how worried you want to be about all of that, right? Mm -hmm. You may be sharing blithely on your own social media, lots of details about your family and your whereabouts. So you, it may, you may be the privacy leak in your family. It may not be your kid's YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Oh, no.
0: Right. Absolutely. And and it's a, it's, it's important to consider that we live in a world where, you know, people can find out a lot of information and we may not be able to, you know, live in a bubble, but we can make smart choices and I like the idea of of being present of mind of looking around you know are we in front of a a street sign are we in front of our school with the school name and and making sure that we're at least making those kinds of safe choices as these videos can wind up in you know places all across the world so uh, that's uh, it's something very specific to consider and you brought up musically and I'm just wondering if there are other any sites you know other than in YouTube or musically that we should be considering um, that maybe people don't know as much about or that we need to be
1: having these kinds of conversations with our kids uh, about being safe online. I think any social media app like I mean certainly Instagram is another place where some kids are trying to really get known and I'll talk to kids in Chicago where I live and they'll say oh well that girl's really famous on Insta mm. and I'll say oh what does that mean and they'll or they'll say oh she's the most popular girl in Chicago and they none of them know her right <laughs> but she just has a lot of followers and we we want to keep our kids out of doing you know crowdsourcing their popularity that that way most kids on social media probably shouldn't have people who don't know them following them, Mm -hmm. right? So again, if your kid is really known for something kind of actual in the community or your kid is, you know, they are a gymnast and they're they are endorsing breakfast cereal or something. Well, then maybe, yeah, you know, if you're Simone Biles, mm. you know, you might have some people following you on Instagram that don't know you. But if you're, you know, your kid or my kid or most kids, um, that may not be a good goal. And so I've I've written a lot about this on my own blog and in, other, in, and in my book about really teaching kids to titrate their social media connections as a way of making social media a fun and healthy space. And a lot of that is being a little choosy about your contacts. If you follow Mm. someone and they make you feel bad, you can unfollow them. And having followers for the sake of followers isn't necessarily a good goal. Why do you want 400 followers if you're 14 or 12, right?
0: Right, and who are these people and, mm. and what do they add to your world? Exactly. Okay, all right. Now, in several areas of your work, as in mine, you talk about the importance of keeping the conversation open. So what should we be periodically checking in on with our kids when it comes to social media or youtube or or even cell phone use once we've given our kids the green light
1: are they feeling pressure or stress mm-hmm. about maintaining their channel coming up with new things are they feeling like the social labor of having to like other people's videos or pictures is you know stressing them out anytime our social media world becomes extra labor for us that takes us you know takes kids away from things like sleep homework family time downtime I'm concerned. Like mm-hmm. then we want to kind of turn the volume down on that. Right. Even for those of us who do social media, like you and I do for as part of our work, mm-hmm. it should not be the, the dog that wha- the, the, the tail wagging the dog. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it shouldn't be the main focus. And so certainly we don't want our kids to be finding that labor stressful. I would also kind of keep an eye on what are they watching and what do they admire? So again, if you see your kids admiring extreme pranks or extreme practical jokes where people end up crying, right, oh. where there's a cruelty to them because oh. there are these, even we've seen parents, you know, we saw parents lose a custody battle with kids, right, where the parents were doing practical, cruel jokes on their kids, on their on YouTube. Mm. So again, parents behaving badly on YouTube, I mean, this is another example of what you shouldn't do, but any time where something isn't funny to the the butt of the joke Mm -hmm. then we have a big problem that's not funny anymore talking to kids about that that you know where does humor stray into cruelty where does humor stray into homophobia racism misogyny Mm -hmm. right and just keeping an eye on that so that it doesn't that we can really look at there are some great people to admire on youtube there are some youtube you know channels that are incredibly funny or or where we can learn a lot Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i do see kids just nerding out on Khan academy you know you st- or, or history videos. I know a ton of kids in, in my son's community who really geek out on history videos. You still don't want them doing it all night. Right. Um, and you want to make sure it's a good channel and that they're not learning you know, incorrect history.
0: <laughs> right. And also, like, the idea of that feeling obsessed with you know, how many views you've had and, and you know, how people are responding. I mean, if your children are constantly checking in on that,
1: uh, that could certainly be problematic, right? Absolutely, we don't want our kids to feel like the number of followers or the frequency of interaction is the measure of their self-worth. Mm-hmm. Right, especially when we know that some kids, uh, many kids,
0: are involved with social media not just to connect, but because their self-esteem is a little fragile, and they're looking for some recognition, and they're looking for some positive feedback. And we, you and I both have talked about that new film that's coming out, that eighth grade, where it looks like that's some of what they're
1: exploring. Absolutely. And the idea that an eighth grade girl would put herself out there, even though she's actually super shy, I think we need to question, you know, it's okay to be shy and it's okay to not have a huge digital footprint in eighth grade. We don't all need to be famous. And this girl sounds like she doesn't even want to be famous. And yet the character is really feels almost like she she should be. Right, right, exactly. The social pressures
0: of, of course, you must be doing this. And the idea also that you can have a different identity online, that you can be more extroverted or um, gain more of a a leadership uh, vibe when you're perhaps somebody who really isn't that at all in, in school or in your community or even in your own head. Exactly. Okay, so at this point, I would love for you to give us your top tip. What should we really be focused on, come away with, if our child comes to us and says, I want to be a YouTube star?
1: I think the, the most important thing is to slow down and really start to understand what their motivation is, who, what passion is leading them there. Is it a passion for the thing they want to do, the magic tricks, the skateboarding, the singing? And, and, and we just need to help them go into that passion. Like maybe your kid needs to go to girls rock camp and rock out in front of a live audience. You know, maybe there's another way for her to get that, you know, and, and get that performers high, but maybe it's not even YouTube. So, you know, figure out what's, what's truly motivating this. And then if, you decide that a channel could be an appropriate way for them to share. What is your editorial policy as a family? Are you the editor in chief? Does every single thing need to go through you? Do they just need to give you a plan of all their episodes and once you approve the plan, they can go make them and post them? Mm
0: -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm.
1: if they're a teenager, are they ready to deal with comments? Otherwise, if they're younger, just turn them off. So those are some really important things to think about. But I I do think looking at alternatives, kids may not be familiar with other ways that they could experience Mm. the pleasure of an audience outside of YouTube. That may be the most obvious one for them. But maybe them and their friends need to, you know, put on a town show. Yeah. No, this is a
0: great idea. And I do also like that idea you've talked about in the past of, of those training wheels, you know, that maybe, you know, they don't have to have it out into the entire world, but rather, you know, something that they can do within the family.
1: Right. And if that's super fun, then maybe they're ready to go to that next level. If they enjoy it and they keep coming up with great ideas. And and having an audience can be inspiring. It can make people want to do better work. You know, you and I write for and do work that's public. And I think if we were just writing it for ourselves we might not be as motivated to do it. We're sharing it. So we want our kids to to have that experience of an authentic audience. But an authentic audience for a little kid might not be just the whole internet. (laughs) Good point.
0: (laughs) They may not need all of that. They may just need a couple of their best friends saying, I really liked what you did.
1: Right. And they also may be really deflated if it goes out to the whole internet and they don't get any comments. Whereas if you can email it to the whole family and say, you know what, this this little bean would really love some comments, you can kind of push that a little. That's also a great way to kind of control for that. Because the, the for every kid who gets the negative, hateful comments, there's also kids who are deflated because they have one viewer because mm. they're not famous and their content is not going to grab the attention of everyone in the world, which is fine because they're you know, eight and most of us aren't doing things at eight that the whole world needs to see. But the point is they're going to be deflated. So sharing within a more curated context where it's, you know, or I I give the example in the article as well of TEDx. If you're, if your kid's passionate about an issue or an idea and they can do a youth TEDx or a school-based TEDx, that's a great chance to speak in an environment where you get coaching, where you really get to practice. So if your kid is a really great persuasive speaker in eighth grade and wants to go out there and make a point about climate change or endangered species or something else that they really care about, that's a great way to do it without the pressure of an ongoing channel.
0: Mm, I love that idea. I love that idea that they're able to do that. And you also talk about, you know, possibly doing things on a, a community level that you know that there are there are people that you can help and touch and inspire on a community level. Even if you didn't want to do the TED Talk, but that you know you can you know get up in front of your school or you can you know help a local charity and and make an impact and feel really good about your contribution. That that's that paves the way for for more positive. Um, Positive activities in your child 's life and you know builds their self esteem in a really you know worthwhile way
1: it 's much more authentic and it 's a way to be connected. What we don 't want to see is our kids developing a totally different persona online than they have in person, which just sounds like what eighth grade is kind of about yes. so i 'm excited to see that
0: exactly me too. Well, give us um, your resource of the week. What, Where should people go to get more information about you or this topic,
1: and and uh, what's their next step? Sure, so RaisingDigitalNatives.com has both my, my post about kids watching YouTube and then links to the Washington Post article that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. about making channels. I also think that there's some value in just watching the channels your kids watch. Mm. So if your kid is following, you know, some of these folks, whether it's, you know, PewDiePie or Miles Chronicles, watch some with them and ask them to maybe make you a YouTube list of my top five videos Mm. so that you can see the world that they're circulating in. Mm -hmm.
0: Right, because when we enter their world, we can understand their world, we can talk about it with them. And it doesn't become so foreign and something that these young kids are doing, but that you know nothing about.
1: Absolutely. And you're going to stretch your taste culture. I mean, a lot of stuff on YouTube is going to be not what parents love, but I would really focus my concern if it's something very negative. As a, Like if you just think something's stupid, right. then imagine all the things that you thought were stupid, that you like <laughs> that your parents just thought were stupid at that age. And that's probably okay. Right. If you just think like, oh, these these jokes are not that funny to me, but they're not offensive. They're not right. evil. I wouldn't focus your ire there. I would really say you know what you don't want your kids spending lots of time with is obviously the more you know cruel negative corners of the internet. Right. but a lot of things on there you will just find sort of flat or boring or you can't believe they you know like I really you really want to watch other people putting on makeup you know
0: right exactly, or you really want to watch other people playing video games, which is a a question we often have with our kids. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Tell us a little bit more about that. So, and of course, if your child is watching things that are inappropriate, you would need to have a conversation about why you find that inappropriate and you know, make some new rules about what what's appropriate for them to watch, isn't that
1: right? Absolutely, and also find out if they're trying to learn about something like sex or sexuality. You've shared some great resources on your show. Mm -hmm. Certainly make sure they have appropriate resources that are right for their age because they are showing you that they want to know something. Mm. What they found may not be anything close to what they hope to find. They just wanted to learn something often. I mean, often Mm. kids, especially younger kids who will stumble onto pornography were looking for information, but they found something they were totally unprepared for. Right. So be able to say, look, you're not
0: in trouble. This
1: is, you know,
0: totally typical that you might stumble upon these kinds of things, but I would like to talk about them and, and, and what it means in the framework of, of what you're, you should be watching, you shouldn't be watching and, um, and, and, you know, our values as a family.
1: Exactly. Okay. Well, this has been so
0: you know, enlightening. I think it's really interesting. It's so timely. I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. And you've been providing so many important pieces of information that we really do need to know about. We do need to talk about because this is now our our everyday, and our kids are talking about this. They're doing it. Their friends are doing it. And we need to be prepared. So I just want to thank you for being here today.
1: You're welcome. It's great talking with you about this. And I look forward to hearing about your ongoing adventures with your kids in their media experiences Uh,
0: I will be in touch I am certain of it (laughs) well many thank yous to you I've got my takeaways and sweet friends I know you have yours let's discuss them come up on Facebook let's go to Dr. Robin Silverman's page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash Dr. Robin I'm also on Instagram I hope you will come over there I put some great memes up there and I'll certainly be putting up a meme from this show so that we can discuss it further and if If you would kindly go up to iTunes and rate and review this podcast, I would truly appreciate it. It means so much. It makes a huge difference. And then, of course, more people will know about the podcast and Devorah Heitner and all the great things that she's offering. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit DrRobinSilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there. Show notes are up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on days when you fall short, You've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week.